Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of May 7, 2017. The way many of us get from place to place has certainly changed considerably since Uber and Lyft entered the transportation arena several years ago. In the latest update of the Uber app for iPhone, riders can now see their rating, just as we see the rating of our drivers. There are even a few tips on things drivers like most about customers and how we can raise our customer ratings. And in the latest update, is an opportunity for the rider to tell Uber what went wrong on a ride. For example, you can select that you left an item behind, that the driver wasn't professional, etc. At the bottom of this list of choices is one that allows you to tell Uber that you had an issue related to your guide dog. On page 2 this week, you'll find an article about Lyft's service dog policy. This article was posted as the state of Missouri moved to allow both Uber and Lyft to operate within its borders. Also on page 2 is an article about an expected increase in the prevalence of visual impairment in years to come. Most articles on this subject are about visual impairment in senior citizens due to macular degeneration, diabetes, glaucoma, and other health-related problems but not this article. This time we learn that visual impairment is on the rise among young children and that it is expected to continue to increase in the future. It certainly makes for an interesting read. ACB affiliates and chapters are always looking for new ways to raise money. Sometimes fundraisers are quick and easy. Candy sales, a 50-50 raffle, a drawing for a basket, Other fundraisers are more time-consuming, need more planning and preparation, and raise much more money. Examples of such fundraisers are walks and trivia nights. David Trott, ACB board member from Talladega, Alabama, joins us on page 3 to share news about the Alabama Council of the Blinds Dancing with the Stars. Listen as David explains how this relatively new fundraiser has gone from raising $2,000 in profits for the Alabama Council in its first year in 2015 to netting $25,000 in 2017. There are two more timely articles on page 4. First, learn how one airline plans to expand accessibility for its in-flight entertainment options for blind and visually impaired customers. In the second article, we learn about yet another acquisition by VFO, the company that has absorbed, in recent years, Freedom Scientific, AI Squared, ABIC, and Optelec. And on page 5 is the Soundprints calendar. Page 2 The transportation of guide dogs in Ubers and Lyfts has been a topic of discussion for quite some time. Sarah Calhoun, Secretary of Guide Dog Users, Inc., writes on the ACB leadership list and on the GDUI list this past week, on Wednesday, May 3, that both Uber and Lyft have been given permission to operate throughout the state of Missouri. 
following is the lift policy related to the transportation of guide dogs and we're including it here because we think this could be some valuable information for you whether you live in Missouri or not. The lift's platform service animal policy for riders. State and federal law prohibit drivers providing transportation services arranged through the Lyft app from denying service to riders with service animals because of the service animals and from otherwise discriminating against riders with service animals. Drivers who engage in discriminatory conduct in violation of this legal obligation will lose access to the Lyft platform. What is a service animal? A service animal is an animal that is trained to work or perform tasks for an individual with a disability. There are many types of service animals. Most service animals are dogs. Common types of service animals include guide dogs, which help blind people travel, and signal dogs, which alert deaf people to relevant sounds. There is no requirement that a service animal wear a tag, be registered, or display any kind of proof that it is a service animal. Legal Obligations of Drivers Drivers have a legal obligation to provide service to riders with service animals. A driver cannot lawfully deny service to riders with service animals because of allergies, religious objections, or a generalized fear of animals. If a driver refuses to drive a rider with a service animal because of the service animal, the driver is in violation of the law and the lift terms of service to which the driver has agreed. The driver may not request that the rider present documentation proving that the rider's animal is a service animal. The law provides that there are only two questions that a driver may ask to confirm that a rider's animal is a service animal. 1. Is the animal required because of a disability? And 2. What work or task has the animal been trained to perform? Consequences for drivers who unlawfully refuse to transport riders with service animals. If Lyft determines that a driver knowingly refused to transport a rider with a service animal, because of the service animal, the driver will be permanently removed from the lift platform and prohibited from providing transportation arranged through the lift platform. If lift receives service animal complaints that plausibly allege more than one instance where a driver either a refused to transport a rider with a service animal because of the presence of a service animal or b threatened, harassed, ridiculed, provided inferior service, or was antagonistic to a rider or other person in the rider's party because of the presence of a service animal, that driver will be permanently removed from the lift platform. Reporting Service Animal Complaints Riders may report service animal issues, including denials of transportation services, harassment, other mistreatment, or improper cleaning fees to Lyft. Complaints may be filed in writing or by calling the Service Animal Complaint Hotline at 1-844-250-3174. To submit a complaint in writing through the Lyft app, 
Click on Help under the main menu. Click on the Service Animal link. Click on the Report a Service Animal Issue button. A link to the complaint form is also available here. At https colon slash slash help dot lift lyft dot com slash hc slash en dash us slash requests slash new and on the service animal page at https colon slash slash help dot lift lyft dot com slash hc slash en dash us slash articles dash two one four five eight nine six five seven dash service dash animal dash policy Lyft will investigate service animal complaints and will take appropriate action in accordance with Lyft's terms of service and this service animal policy. Lyft will notify the rider within two weeks of the date of the complaint about the outcome of the investigation and the actions that Lyft has or will take to remove the complaint. Rights of Riders with Service Animals a rider cannot be denied service because he or she travels with a service animal. A rider will be refunded any trip, cancellation charges, or other charges imposed because a driver denied a rider service because of a service animal. Riders will be informed by Lyft of what action Lyft takes in response to their complaints about discrimination on the basis of a service animal including whether Lyft has ended its business relationship with the driver involved. Lyft will provide each rider who submits a plausible service animal complaint concerning discriminatory treatment by a driver on the Lyft platform in the United States with an account credit of no more than $5 for use on the Lyft platform. Lyft has prepared a user guide https colon slash slash drive dot google dot com slash file slash d as in dog slash zero b as in boy four o four two m r three y t k zero b three p k q z Z Q U G F W D G M slash view V I E W that provides step by step guidance for using Lyft when traveling with a service animal. Lyft has also prepared a one page pamphlet describing the rights of riders with service animals to access transportation arranged through the Lyft app that is attached to the user guide. Cleaning fees. Riders cannot be charged cleaning fees for shedding by their service animals. Riders will be refunded any cleaning fees charged for shedding by their service animals. A rider can be charged a cleaning fee if a driver provides compelling 
photographic evidence showing that a service animal in the rider's party urinated, defecated, or vomited in the driver's vehicle. The rider may contest that such a mess occurred. If a driver contests a cleaning fee, Lyft will evaluate the dispute and will determine within two weeks whether to refund the cleaning fee. Lyft will provide the rider with a written explanation of its decision if requested by the rider. APH offers the easy-to-use Wilson Digital Recorder version 6. Holds up to 12 hours of messages. Choose higher voice quality with less recording time or more recording time with lower voice quality. Now has the ability to check the number of saved messages. For the Wilson Digital Recorder, call the American Printing House for the Blind toll-free 800-223-1839 or visit shop.aph.org. Want to read digital talking books, download podcasts, and make superb recordings all while on the go? Now you can with APH's BookPort Plus. Its small size, quality recording, and unique capabilities make BookPort Plus an ideal replacement for earlier digital talking book players or inaccessible commercial recorders. Call the American Printing House for the Blind toll-free, 800-223-1839, or visit www.aph.org. We often hear about the projected increase in visual impairment among individuals who are over 60 years of age, and especially those who are in their 70s and 80s. But we don't hear much about an increase in visual impairment among children. The following article was posted on Thursday, May 4, by Kelly Gask from the ACB National Office and originally appeared on EUREK, E-U-R-E-K, Alert, Org. It's entitled, Prevalence of Visual Impairment Among Preschool Children Projected to Increase. The number of preschool children in the United States with visual impairment is projected to increase by more than 25% in the coming decades, with the majority of visual impairment resulting from simple, uncorrected, refractive error, according to a study published by JAMA Ophthalmology. Visual impairment, VI, in early childhood can significantly impair development of visual, motor, and cognitive function. There has been a lack of accurate data characterizing the prevalence of visual impairment in the United States preschool population. Rohit Varma, MD, MPH, of the University of Southern California, Los Angeles, and colleagues examined prevalence data from two major population-based studies to determine demographic and geographic variations in visual impairment in children three to five years in the United States in 2015 and estimated projected prevalence through 2060. Visual impairment was defined as decreased visual acuity 20 over 50 in children 36 to 47 months of age and 20 over 40 in children 48 months of age and older in the better seeing eye in the presence of an identifiable ophthalmic cause. The researchers found that in 2015 in the United States it is estimated that 174,000 children ages 3 to 5 years were visually impaired. Most 
120,669% owing to simple uncorrected refractive error and that Hispanic white children were the most affected, 65,942 or 38%. The 45-year projections indicate a 26% increase in visual impairment in 2060. During this period, Hispanic white children will remain the largest demographic group in terms of the absolute numbers of VI cases, 44% of the total. Multiracial American children will have the greatest proportional increase, 137%, and non-Hispanic white children will have the largest proportional decrease, 21%, in the number of VI cases. From 2015 to 2060, the states projected to have the most children with visual impairment are California, Texas, and Florida. Several limitations of the study are noted in the article. Quote, given that most preschool visually impaired children can be, no, quote, given that most preschool VI can be prevented or treated by low-cost refractive correction and that nearly inter- Quote, given that most preschool VI can be prevented or treated by low-cost refractive correction and that early intervention is critical for better visual outcomes, vision screening in preschool age and follow-up care will have a significant prolonged effect on the visual function and academic and social achievements and therefore should be recommended for all children, the authors write. A coordinated surveillance system is needed to continuously monitor the effect of preschool VI on the national, state, and local levels over time. End quote. Page 3. David Trott is a member of the ACB Board of Directors, and I've had the privilege of being able to serve with him on that board for a number of years. We're not going to be talking about ACB issues today. David is a past president of the Alabama Council of the Blind, and he is visiting with us today to talk about a very interesting fundraiser that they have each year, David? Yeah, it's an annual event now. Yes, and it's called Dancing with the Stars. And David... It's it's just amazing how much goes into that fundraising effort and uh, how you all bring this off each year. So tell us a little bit about that activity. Well, about three years ago, our president, Joan Garrett, brought us the idea of doing this as a fundraiser. And we really, a lot of us were a little skeptical that it wouldn't work. The first year we did just a showcase it really wasn't a competition or anything and we raised uh, maybe two thousand dollars after that though we began to get people to buy in and uh, we raised seventeen thousand dollars in 2016 and we're close to twenty five thousand this year okay now tell us first of all tell us uh, tell us what that showcase involved all the showcase was, uh, more or less, was, was like a dance exhibition. We had mm-hmm. probably ten couples that 
did different dances. Uh, if you're familiar with the show, you know that they do different dances uh, from different parts of the country, and uh, they have different themes behind them. And we just really wanted to see if it was something the community would buy into. What did you sell as part of that? Did you sell a ticket? Um, who did you get involved? And I guess from that, you evolved into the competition, right? Right. Uh, the showcase, all we did was sell tickets. We sold uh, just a general admission ticket that in uh, essentially what we did to attract people that year is immediately following the showcase, we did a wine and cheese event. And so your ticket lets you get into that. Mm -hmm. And did you get quite a bit of public participation? Yes, uh, not as much the first year. Uh, we probably had 250 people there the first year mm -hmm. and very little publicity because there, wasn't, uh, there just wasn't the community buy-in then. The next year then, it, it got much bigger? Yes, it, it, it just exploded. Uh, once uh, There's a lot of elements involved, and I'll go into them with you if we have time. Okay. But uh, essentially, the, the community bought into it. Mm -hmm. They wanted the competition. Uh, we, we got the right dancers. Uh, we, we put on a good show, and we separated it with the after party. And you bought two different type tickets at that point. So the after party was more of a, you know, a privilege because there was only like uh, 75 tickets available for the after party. Mm -hmm. Okay. And did you have it in the same location? No, no. Okay. The 2016 year, we did the uh, uh, dancing program itself at the Deaf School Auditorium which was one of the few venues we could get that was big enough to hold 500 people. Oh, goodness. And we did the after party at the president's home. Mm -hmm. This year, uh, we kept the same uh, auditorium at the deaf school, and we had the after party at a local bank. Mm. Okay, and so I would assume in, in using the School for the Deaf, did you have that you might not have had a, a large facility cost then? Uh, actually, the putting on this event could be extremely costly, uh -huh. and that's where we've been lucky. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got thousands and thousands of dollars worth of free publicity. We've got uh, in-kind donations in the thousands of dollars that are not reflected in the, the 25000 that you raise. Right. Among them is the venues. Uh, you know, to rent an auditorium would cost you a couple of thousand dollars to get a decent one mm -hmm. uh, in this area. Mm -hmm. And uh, then, of course, the bank coming on board, you know, added not only uh, the facility but a little prestige to it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So then your your stars that you had, are they, uh, you had people that were known well-known names in your community, I would assume? Yes, we had uh, we had doctors, we had lawyers, we had judges. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a gentleman from the that's over the racetrack uh, as an MC, one of the MCs. Oh. And then we had Ken Osborne, which uh, a lot of people have heard of him nationally. He's totally blind uh, 
uh, advertising. He's in advertising. He started out probably 40 years ago as a disc jockey, but he's in advertising now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had school people. Um, um, then we had, uh, uh, let's see, we had superintendents, the superintendent schools. We had uh, some of the doctors were, of course, professors at the uh, Talladega College. We had the principal of the Alabama School for the Blind this year, the principal of the high school. So these were people that were known in the community, and you want those because that's where your money comes in at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would assume that then as you get them involved, then they can help reach out and get friends of theirs to attend and things like that that can help you with your ticket sales? Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about money then, I guess. Okay. It, ticket sales is a minor part. Okay. Uh, now, you know, you, you figure 400 tickets at 20 bucks a piece right. is not minor to a lot of people. But when you're looking at sponsors, you get sponsors uh, that sponsor at, you know, levels from 250 to $1,000. Mm-hmm. Then you have um, your votes. Uh, we took in money through vote. You know, you vote for who you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have a popularity contest. We have three different contests. Okay. You more or less have your money contest, which is, uh, uh, you know, whoever can raise the most money. Mm-hmm. Then we have the actual talent contest that we have two professional judges and a local celebrity judge and then the uh what's the other one Rhonda? The vote. yeah the audience vote and that's also a paid vote so how how does that how does how does that work then to have the audience vote do they do they vote that night yes that? when uh, uh the the first voting the outside voting uh, and sponsorships are done. This is usually the contest, or the we call it Dancing with the Digger Stars. Mm-hmm. The the Saturday that's the Saturday night event. Okay. So we cut off all outside voting, sponsorships, and everything at midnight Friday night. And okay. then when they come in on Saturday to the event, when they uh, show their ticket to get in, they're handed an envelope. And they put money in right on the envelope who they want. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how the, it takes time. So we have a couple of exhibition dances between each type judging contest announcement. Like uh, you already know before you get there who won the sponsorships mm-hmm. because it's cut off on Friday night. So it's your first one. And then your second one is the uh, judges. Mm-hmm. And then... And then, uh, and then the audience is last, I believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. The judges is last, Rhonda says. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, you know, your your money stuff and then your actual talent is the last thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I, I come in, I buy a ticket, and I come in, and I want to vote for a particular person. Um, that person wins based on how much money they generate? Yes. I see. Or is it so much a vote, or can I, or do yeah, I just... Yeah, it's a dollar a vote. Oh, I see. Okay. So if I want to put $25 in my envelope, I have just cast 25 votes for that individual. Right. I see. And you can only vote on one couple. Oh, 
Okay. So I can't come in and vote across the board. Right. Oh. All right. Well, and so the sponsorships, would I be correct in guessing that the sponsorships would bring in probably the the majority or the at least a significant portion of the money that's raised? Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you have, and of course, when you sponsor, let's say that you sponsor at a $1,000 level and you were dancing, mm-hmm. uh, not that you were dancing if you sponsored. If I sponsored and you were dancing, I can cast a thousand votes for you if I if I'm sponsoring at a thousand dollar level. We let those also count. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All right. And and that's a choice that you have? Right. That's the choice you have. Mm-hmm. So you can choose to either sponsor a person or just sponsor the whole event? Right. I see. Well this is this is a this is really a fascinating uh thing and something I, I don't watch Dancing with the Stars on TV so um, I'm not really you know I, I know about the show and the concept of the show and so on but um, I, I'm not a big fan don't watch a, uh, my, my big thing on TV is the news and Perry Mason so you can see where <laughs> I stopped <laughs> but well, why this has worked here is Jones uh-huh. Garrett, who is the president, right? Uh-huh. She put together a good team. Okay. Uh, you know, and this team works well together. Uh-huh. It is, oh, Carla, it's nine months' work out of a year. Oh, I'm sure. Because uh, your dancers practice for about six months. Uh, we don't just let you come and say, hey, we're, you know, I want to dance. Okay. Uh, your stars each year are, are the professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've danced a year or they've danced somewhere else. Okay. You know, um, your your dancers are anybody with, you know, some, of course, naturally they have to have some talent. But um, if, they're, if they don't have the necessary talent but they have the skill sets, uh, we have a lady who donates a lot of time, and then they pay her, you know, a cut rate for lessons too. Mm-hmm. And she works with them for that six months. Oh. prior to the event. Oh, my goodness. She owns her own dance studio. Uh-huh. And, and like I said, this has to be kind of a perfect storm uh, because in an area the size of Talladega, for example, we have a population of 20,000. Wow. And to raise a, a in excess of a dollar of citizen, uh, you've got to have put a lot of work into it. You just and out kidding. of that twenty-five thousand, if you had to pay for a building, if you had to pay for, like the bank sponsored the after party, mm-hmm. and uh, part of it, you know, we paid for the food and all. I think the the beverages were donated, and and it is an alcoholic beverage event, uh-huh. you know. So you do have uh, some cost involved there. Yes. Uh, and of course, if it wasn't for the Alabama Institute for Deaf and Blind. And to a lesser degree, or well, actually, no, uh, they've got where they put more and more into it as far as work. Uh, our vocational rehabilitation service works with us on this thing. Oh, my. It's, uh, it's a perfect storm. It's, it's just come together to make this event. Now, could you do it somewhere else? Absolutely. Uh, you'd have to have a bunch of front money or a bunch of people willing to, you know, to start out giving you the things that you need. Mm-hmm. 
newspapers, for example, that could really be a very big expense. I, I'd be willing to say that we'd get anywhere from five to $10,000 a year in publicity. Oh, I'm sure, and probably more than that, and if it were in a lot of different communities, because right. newspaper advertising is very, very, very expensive. We've discovered that over the years in recruiting volunteers for the ACB convention. Right. I mean, you can you can spend four or five thousand dollars pretty darn quick on newspaper advertising. And you know, you have to have uh, you have to have the right people mm -hmm. uh, because this is a show. It's entertainment. Yes. The people who buy tickets want to be entertained, mm -hmm. and. Uh, they, uh, you know, the, these entertainers, they, the dancers, they put a lot of time into it, um, a lot of browbeating other people, I'm sure, to get them to spend money on them. Um, but it, it is a great fundraiser. It's a lot of fun, but it is truly a lot. I've worked with a lot of fundraisers, as you know, over the years. Mm -hmm. um, this is probably one of the most labor-intense fundraisers you can get into. Well, and I would imagine, too, you said that some of your, your stars, your dancers, would, would be um, well-known people in the community, such as doctors or lawyers or whatever. And, and they have to, on their part, be willing to, to uh, set aside the time to become proficient at whatever dance they're going to be doing. Would yeah, that not be uh, correct? A few, a few of them, it's hobbies. Uh, okay. We got a local dentist and his wife. Um, they came. They got involved the first year, and they actually started taking dancing lessons after that. So, uh, you know, they really got involved in it, mm -hmm. and they've worked with us every year. Uh, she didn't get to dance this year because she got to be with child, and with, unfortunately, she couldn't, you know, yeah, dance. But. Um, you know they're they're big into it, uh, and they brought a lot of p other people on board. So uh, if you're going to do it and you're going to say it's an annual event, you you've really got to constantly be working on the next year. Yes, getting more people involved. Maybe I would think too, replacing maybe someone who, in the event that one of your dancers the first year couldn't participate again, you've got to have a replacement ready to go. You can't just go out and pull somebody in the week before. Yeah, and, and it has to be constantly changing. Now, you know, they expect some of the people to come back each year. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of our, uh, the stars come back each year. Uh, your dancers is constantly an influx of people, you know, that are different. And mm -hmm. uh, you're constantly dealing with that. Now, the one, one of the neat things that we do that none of the other, you know, this is not, uh, wasn't a new idea to us, of course. People are doing it all over the place. One of the unique things that we do, we have it described, and we have interpreters. Oh. So, you know, we have all the bases covered, and there again, that's not a cost to us. That would be somewhere else if you decided to do it. It'll be really interesting to see how next year goes. I mean, look at the with the growth that you've had the last couple of years. Um, it's like, all right, so where is this going to, where are you going to reach the top? You know, uh, we're already concerned about the venue uh -huh. because uh, 
the auditorium were, were using seats around 500 people. Right. So, uh, you know, we come close to outgrowing it this year. Yeah. And that, uh, that's just and, in its third year, right? Right. And we're figuring oh. one, we'll get one more year out of it. Mm-hmm. Because what we would actually like to be in a position to do is have a sellout and a few people not be able to get in. That'd be ideal. And that'll, you know, that'll just increase the popularity and make it grow. Oh, yeah. And, of yeah. course, like anything else, it's going to last as a fundraiser probably a year or two longer than the TV show will. So we're, we're hoping the TV ratings stay up for a while. Right, right, right. This is all uh, an idea that Joan Garrett had just talking with somebody that she knew mm-hmm. that had done it, you know, they had done it somewhere else. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we hadn't hit a drop in the bucket compared to some of the bigger cities. Uh, there's groups, you know, that uh, have raised eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 a year. Matter of fact, it got so big for one group, they quit doing it. Oh, my. And people that are listening to you that, that see Joan at the convention, mm-hmm. uh, be good to go by and talk with her and congratulate her on a job well done. Oh, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, like I said, she's got a great team. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's it's just been uh, I can't uh, describe how it, it's just the growth of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing, uh, I'd like to touch on right quick. Okay. Uh, we all kick around on the board, of course, about our internet and yes. what value it is to us. Yes. Uh, our internet grew by about five hundred percent in money this year. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, we do bows and. Everything of the stars, and of course, you can actually cast your vote online. You know, we can take credit cards, <laughs> <laughs> buy your tickets, make your sponsorships, mm-hmm. uh, and a little bit of all that was done online this year. Okay. Like I said, uh, I figured it up from the year before, and it looks like about 500% in growth this year. That's great. One other thing that we might want to point out to people, because okay. you and I are always pushing blindness. Yes, we are. Uh <laughs> You cannot buy the publicity we got. Mm-hmm. And it was good, positive, blindness-related publicity. Mm-hmm. And to me, uh, money is always important because it feeds our technology and scholarship fund. Yes. But what is really important is the fact that people know there's blind people out there in the community that are actually giving back something that they enjoy. Well... Thank you so much. Well, we appreciate your interest. Page four. On Wednesday, May 3, Kelly Gask in the ACB Alexandria office posted the following article from newsroom.virginaustralia.com. The article is entitled, Virgin Australia has become the first airline in the Asia-Pacific and the second airline in the world to introduce an in-flight entertainment IFE user interface for passengers who are blind or who have low vision. Designed to make the customer experience more accessible for visually impaired passengers, the new interface increases accessibility to IFE content through simplified screen layouts, larger icons, and voice prompts. Developed by locally recognized IFE innovator CoKinetic Systems, the interface is available on Virgin Australia's entire fleet 
of Boeing 777-300ER aircraft, which feature a seatback entertainment system and will be rolled out on the Airbus A30 fleet in the first half of 2017. The Boeing 777-300ER aircraft fly from Australia's east coast to Los Angeles, while the Airbus A30 primarily fly between Australia's east coast and Perth. Virgin Australia General Manager in-flight experience Tash Tobias said, We are determined to ensure travel with Virgin Australia is enjoyable for all of our guests. And we are delighted to introduce this new user interface for guests who are blind or who have low vision. Throughout the development process, we consulted with disability advocate Philip Chalker to create a system that enables more passengers to enjoy movies, music, audiobooks, and TV shows, and we thank him for his invaluable assistance. This new technology also allows vision-impaired guests to access important flight information, such as the time and distance to their destination, Ms. Tobias said. Vision Australia General Manager for Advocacy and Engagement, Karen Knight, said, We congratulate Philip on the outcome his advocacy efforts have helped achieve. In addition, we commend Virgin Australia for taking steps to improve the accessibility of their IFE system. Many people who are blind or have low vision enjoy travel and travel widely, and by Virgin Australia continuing to improve the accessibility of its IFE technology, guests have the opportunity to enjoy the latest entertainment. This feature is the latest addition in an ever-increasing focus on accessible entertainment for all guests. Virgin Australia recently introduced a broader variety of assets suitable for hearing-impaired guests with subtitled and closed-captioned movies and TV, a growing range of non-narrative documentaries, and a hand-picked collection of reading materials. Virgin Australia's wireless IFE system is available on its Boeing 737-800 and Ember Air E-M-B-R-A-E-R E-190 fleets and is accessible to vision-impaired guests via screen reader software available on guests' own devices. On Monday, May 1, Kelly Gask of the ACB Alexandria office posted the following information on the ACB leadership list. This is a press release entitled The Paciello Group joins VFO, and that is spelled P-A-C-I-E-L-L-O. Nashua, New Hampshire, and St. Petersburg, Florida. For immediate release, VFO, the world's leading assistive technology provider for the visually impaired and home of the Freedom Scientific, Optelec, and AI Squared Brands today announced it has acquired the Paciello Group, TPG, a marquee software accessibility firm providing website and application compliance solutions to enterprises throughout the world. 
This acquisition advances both companies' strategy to offer the most innovative end-to-end enterprise compliance and employee accommodation solutions for people with disabilities, including the visually impaired. The accessibility market is growing rapidly. With enterprises around the world investing in compliance solutions, which allow persons with disabilities the same access to the web and applications as their peers, said Tom Tiernan, President and CEO of VFO. Combining the Pasiello Group with VFO's Enterprise Services business advances our position into the top tier of the web accessibility market. We will be able to better serve our clients in their corporate accessibility maturity continuum, said Mike Pasiello, CEO and founder of the Pasiello Group. I view this as a game-changing move that immediately establishes VFO as the industry leader, a first in the disability and technology ecosystem. Perhaps more importantly to all of us at TPG, it strengthens our worldwide reputation as visionaries and champions of accessibility to all people with disabilities. With the Pasiello Group joining VFO, we can now offer enterprises end-to-end solutions from upfront strategic consulting, accessibility auditing, usability testing, remediation and training, all the way through to seamless integration with our enterprise class JAWS screen reading and Zoom text screen magnification software solutions, said Matt Adder. Vice President of VFO's Enterprise Services Business. The coming together of the Pasiello Group and VFO makes great strategic sense, said Bill Donahue, CEO and Chairman, Skillsoft. This will let us develop a complete solution for our customers with the premier accessibility solutions provider and the primary provider in the AT arena. Page 5. The Sound Prince Calendar. On May 11, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its support group from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. This is a great activity for individuals who are just beginning to experience vision loss or who have had low vision for a few years. Call 502-895-4598 for more information. Also on May 11, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its monthly meeting at 7 p.m. The conference call number is 605-475-4700 and the code is 155619. For more information, call Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. On May 12, GLCB will hold its next roundabout. There will be education and technology activities from 3.30 to 5, discussion time from 5 to 6, dinner $5 per person at 6 o'clock, and a special presentation of Lady Anderley's Rose, a play presented by the Imagine Blind Players beginning at 7.30. All the activities will take place at UCHM in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to register. On May 13, Explore 
with all the senses, animals in the backyard. This is a presentation from the American Printing House Museum. 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Meet our city neighbors in the animal world through all the senses, hands-on activities, and interactions with wild animals. This is offered in partnership with the Louisville Nature Center. Free for all ages, but registration is required. Call 899-2213 to sign up. On May 14, KCB Next Generation, our chapter for individuals 40 years old and younger, will meet at 8 p.m. by telephone 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. May 15 is the next meeting of the Kentucky Council of the Blind Board of Directors, 7.30 p.m. on the same conference line, 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On May 16, from 6 to 7.30 p.m., the Tri-State Library users will hold its dinner meeting at Clifton Pizza on Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. For more information and to let us know you'll be attending, call Bill Wright, TOU President, at 502-893-0879. May 17, Library Without Walls, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a conference call sponsored by the Library Users of America. What adult book would you like to give us a gift? What children's book would you like to give us a gift? What book have you received as a gift that has been important to you and why? Those are the three questions that Lua will be exploring on this conference call. The time is 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The telephone number is 712-432-1500 and the code is LUACALL. 5822255 On May 20 there will be a Clifton walking tour rescheduled from April 10:30 a.m. to 12:30 p.m. sponsored by the APH Museum Join the museum for a walking tour of the Clifton neighborhood starting at the historic 1883 building on the grounds of the American Printing House for the Blind We'll learn about the evolution of the area from a sparsely populated rural community in 1830 to a densely settled urban Louisville neighborhood. Free, but best for older children and adults. Call the museum at 502-899-2213 to sign up. Note, please remember that there will be no roundabout on May 19. May 21 is the next meeting of the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association Board of Directors, 8 p.m. by conference call at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On May 22, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will hold its membership call at 7 p.m., on the conference line is 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. This is a great chance for you to participate in planning of future guide dog user activities and to address issues related to guide dogs. On May 24, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold its peer support group meeting from noon to 2 p.m., at the Bluegrass Council office in Lexington, 1093 South Broadway. 
For more information and to sign up, call 859-259-1834. Also on May 24, the 8th grade graduation and middle school high school award ceremony for the Kentucky School for the Blind will take place from noon to 2 p.m. in the Ritchie Auditorium on the campus of the school, 1867 Frankfurt Avenue. And then that evening, the KSB High School graduation will also be in the Ritchie Auditorium from 6.30 to 8 p.m. For more information, call the school at 502-897-1583. On May 26, GLCB will hold a roundabout education and technology activities from 3.30 to 5 p.m., discussion from 5 to 6, dinner, $5 per person at 6 p.m., music, games, and crafts from 7 until 10 at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On May 27, you're invited to join KCB Next Generation for a lunch cruise on the Belle of Louisville. Board the boat at 11.30 a.m. and set sail at noon. Tickets are $35 per person and must be purchased through the Kentucky Council of the Blind by May 10. Text Amanda Salm at 502-750-1174 for more information or call KCB at 502-895-4598 to purchase tickets by phone with your credit card. Looking ahead to June. On June 9, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana invite you to participate in their Guide Dog and Service Dog Eye Screening Clinic held in conjunction with the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout that day. The doggy screening will take place from 3.30 to 4.45 p.m., and your dog must have been registered with the ACVO through their website by the end of April in order to receive the eye screening. There will be education and tech tips as well as discussion until 6 p.m., dinner from 6 to 7, and bingo, cards, and crafts until 10. On June 10, there's a Kids' Day at the APH Museum with games and activities to help kids learn about blindness. This is a free program from the museum, and you will need to call 502-899-2213 to sign up. Also on June 10, the Kentucky Council of the Blind Next Generation will hold its all-council picnic this will be a great afternoon of food and fun beginning at 2 p.m. at the Brown Park in Louisville. More information will be coming soon. June 30 to July 7 is the ACB Spark Success 56th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind in Reno, Sparks, Nevada. Join ACB for this tremendous week of programs, workshops, technology, tours, and of course food, fun, and lots and lots of friends from all over the country. Get the latest information by subscribing to the ACB Convention email list. Send a blank message to acbconvention-subscribe at acb.org. August 4 and 5 is the KSB Alumni Association Conference and Reunion at the Ramada Inn North in Louisville. Save the dates for a great weekend of summertime fun. 
More details coming soon. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.